Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Uh, we gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to respond uh, to God's goodness. So thankful that we can join here in person, but also those who are joining us online, welcome. Glad that we can be together uh, in worshiping God. As we begin our time, just want to share a few uh, announcements and details about our service. If you look on the inside of your uh, the cover of the Order of Worship, you'll see some notes that during this time our services are a little shorter than normal, about 50 minutes. We're asking everyone to wear a mask. And we're not passing offering plates, but if you'd like to give to the work of the church, there's uh, silver offering plates in the back, or you can give online through the church website. Uh, and the last detail I mentioned is that we're receiving communion together through uh, prepackaged elements like these. So uh, they were there at the, the front as you came in, uh, the orders of worship. Um, but if you need one, you can grab one now, or uh, before the communion service, uh, you can raise your hand and we'll pass them out as well. So. Um, one other thing, if you are new, if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here, and uh, you can uh, fill out a, a Connect card. Uh, there's one on the information, t the welcome table. There's also one on the back of your order. We'd love to have your information to be able to share with you the, a weekly email and follow up about the church. Uh, if you're viewing online, you can do that as well through our website and share uh, ways that we can pray for you or uh, update your contact information. Um, but stop by the table there if you'd like to drop off your information. Uh, the last thing, the announcement, is that we are getting kind of into the, approaching the fall in September, and so September they'll be getting some new small groups and different discipleship opportunities, Bible studies, and so here's you look at the back of your order of worship, there's announcements there about uh, women's Bible study, about a, a Tuesday night uh, study that's meeting in the community space, and a ways to get connected to small groups. So these are great chances to grow in your faith and connect with others in the church, and so talk to me or Pastor Brian if you have questions about those, we'd love to connect you with those opportunities. Uh, and then the last thing before we dismiss the kids, that we are going to take a moment to, to pray for the beginning of the school year. I know some people have already started, uh, and whether you are in preschool or you're going to grad school, <laughs> the beginning of the school year is an exciting time full of possibilities, um, but also it's always a little bit stressful, especially during this time where we have some uncertainties and some fears, and so it's, we're going to offer a prayer, but also Hopefully it's going to stop raining, but after the church service, we'll have a, kind of a special fellowship time of cookies and lemonade and cold water outside the church, so hopefully you can stay after and join us um, to kind of mark the beginning of the school year. So let's, let me offer a prayer of blessing. Lord, we thank you, and we ask for your blessing upon our students, upon our parents, our teachers, and, and administrators. Lord, please bless them and let this school year be one of flourishing for each one. Lord, we pray for our administrators as they consider the health and safety of their school communities. We're mindful of already stretched thin resources being asked to do new things, and we pray for their wise leadership, clear communication, and just supervision. And we pray for our teachers that they may share their passion and invite students into new and deeper understandings. We pray that you keep them safe and strengthen their spirits as they face different challenges. And we pray that our teachers may be bearers of light and love. And we pray for our students as they begin a new year. We pray for the excitement that they have and the opportunities. We thank you that you've made them in your image. And we pray that this year that they would grow deeper in their love for learning. That no matter what grade they're entering, the students would experience the wonder and the awakening of interest in your world, Lord. And we pray that the students would be safe, but also that they would grow not only in knowledge, but in kindness and perseverance and in patience. And Lord, we pray for our parents. We pray for parents that you would strengthen them and help them, even in the face of uncertainties, to, to have courage and to endure, even in the face of exhaustion or frustration or weariness. Lord, strengthen our parents. And I pray that we may be a community that upholds them as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name and pray for your blessing. Amen. At this time, any kids that are going to the preschool class or the children's worship can go back to the back to, to be with Melinda, and she'll take them downstairs. That, those classes will go through the whole service and finish the same time the worship service does. Well, we're going to continue worshiping through our, our call to worship. Let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves for this call to worship.
Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 16. Will you stand with me and we'll all sing it together. Preserve me, O God, I have no good apart from you. Preserve me, O God, I have no good apart from you. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, but the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Preserve me, O oh God, I have no good apart from you. Preserve me, O oh God, I have no good apart from you. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of life. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Preserve me, oh God. I have no good apart from you. Almighty, everlasting God, our gracious Heavenly Father, 
we come before you this morning to give you praise, thanks, and glory to your holy and righteous name. For you have revealed yourself through our Lord Jesus Christ, and you continue to direct us by the wisdom of your spirit. You give to your Son, who seats at your right hand, all power and authority to reign with justice and mercy. Yet we often come forgetting and distrusting your goodness and power and promises. We come to you this morning feeling our weakness and our frailty from the week before. We come distracted and needing our eyes to be turned towards your loving presence. We come exhausted in need of your strength and comfort in the face of our troubles. We are overwhelmed by the sin that still clings to us, and we need your boundless grace. Lord God, we recognize there are many things going on in our world right now, even making us exhausted and tired, and, and Lord, we lift up those and continue to pray for those in Haiti. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would, that you would provide what is needed, that you would restore life to those who have lost life, that you would give comfort and hope to those who are in need. Lord, we also lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and pray that you would, you would meet them in these uncertain times, that you would, you would protect those who are vulnerable and in need of your protection. And Lord, lastly, we, we're just reminded as with COVID and numbers coming and the variant, Lord, we, we find ourselves weary we find ourselves tired. Even some of us have those who are sick and recovering. And Lord, we, we pray for your mercy in these places. Give to us a renewed confidence and trust in your presence that you are ever with us. Although our lives are constantly changing, you are unchangeable and eternal. We pray all these things by your holy name. Amen. Well, as we continue to gather together and worship, um, our God is gracious to receive us with our sin, our burdens, our doubts, and he, he invites us to come. And we will do that first uh, in a public confession through a prayer and, and song, and then we will spend uh, time in private confession. So will you join me in prayer? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Loving Father, forgive us when we are denied what we know is true to follow, desires that seduce us, when we ignore what is just and merciful to follow ambition that is selfish when we give in, instead of clinging to you, Lord, have mercy on us.
Gracious and merciful God, too often we come hardened and jaded by our sin and the sin of others, yet your heart towards us is one of compassion and grace, forgiveness, and abounding love. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me and we will recite these words of assurance together, speaking this truth to each other. Those who look to God are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament lesson this morning is from Psalm 71, verses 17 through 21. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens, you who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. And the gospel lesson this morning is from John 3, verses 31 through 36. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, and he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord.
good to be here with you and worship together and a chance to look at God's Word together. Uh, this Sunday is the last Sunday of the sermon series that we've been looking at in which we look at the benefits of our redemption in Christ. And the benefit that we'll look at today is the benefit of the assurance of resurrection. The assurance of resurrection. Or to say it another way, the assurance that the greatest power at work, the final word in life and in all creation, is not sin, it's not evil or death. It's the power of God in Christ. This is the assurance of resurrection, that the final word is the power of God in Christ, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. As we'll see, Paul writes that seeing this benefit changes how we see ourselves, our circumstances, and the world around us. So let's look at our passage. This is from Ephesians 1. It's in your order of worship. You can follow there or in your Bible. We're looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. You can follow along or just listen as I read. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. But he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. It's given for our good. And as we make our way through our passage, the, at first, we're going to take a moment to look at this prayer that Paul has for the church in Ephesus. And then the second part, we're going to look at how he has three things that he hopes that the church can see, that they can see. Well, our passage opens with words of affirmation and a relationship. You notice Paul affirming his love and his thanks for the Christians in Ephesus. I have heard of your faith and your love towards all of God's people. Therefore, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And as part of giving thanks, Paul says he also prays for the church in Ephesus. And he prays that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And I, want, I want to dwell on that phrase as we think about Paul's prayer, the eyes of your hearts enlighten. See, Paul is praying for spiritual eyesight, we might say. We're familiar with the idea that our hearts, when that's referenced, it's not just referring to the, uh, the organ that pumps blood in our chest, right? Here, this is something more than that. It's, it's more that we are, we're more than flesh and blood. In biblical language, our heart is our center, it's our affections and our loyalties. It's where we hold what we treasure, the deepest part of who we are. Paul's praying for that deepest place. Earlier this week, I had uh, an eye exam. Went to the eye doctor, it had been a little while. And I normally wear contact lenses, and if, if you've been to an eye exam, you know that you have to take off your glasses or take off your contact lenses to to go and at least start the process, and so I had to take my contact lenses out, and that short walk from the sink or the mirror where I took them off to, to the, the chair in the, waiting, you know, the, the room with the doctor, things were blurry, and she put up the letters on the wall, and right away I could, I could barely see even the, the largest ones, and she began to put the lenses in front of my eyes, and then I could see, right? 
She also added that I'm getting older. <laughs> You're getting older, and you might need some reading glasses, but that's, that's a side point. <laughs> but she put the lenses back in front of my eyes, and I could see the letters sharp and clear. Maybe you've had an experience like that as well. John Calvin, when talking about the impact of the gospel, the impact of God's word, uses such an image. He says it's like those who are wandering around with things blurry, suddenly wearing new eyeglasses, new lenses. Things are sharper, things are seen that were not seen before. And I don't know for sure, but I I think that John Calvin might have had a passage like ours in mind when he uses that image. You see, Paul is praying for this type of eyesight, spiritual eyesight, when he says that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's saying that we would have a focus and a clarity, that there would be a new lens, the lens of Christ, that changes how we see ourselves, others, and the world. But it's, it's worth noting here that Paul, when he prays this, does not imagine that Christians will automatically or always see the world in this way. Think about that. It's something that we should pray for and seek to have these lenses upon our hearts. I'm assuming that you know that experience. I, I mean, I do for sure that, that even as we follow Christ, there are times where what I see What I see clearly is myself and my failures, my circumstances, the things that are not right. I see the world and its brokenness and its suffering and its injustice. I see those things, and they are overwhelming. Our passage invites us to pray that we would not just see that, but we would see these things with a new lens in light of God's love and the power of God in Christ that our eyes would be renewed and focused. And there's three things that Paul prays in particular that we would see when we have these new glasses, when we have Christ's eyes, that we'd see three things in particular that would change how we see the world around us. And the first one that comes in our passage, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, that you may see, that you may know the hope to which God has called you the hope to which God has called you. Ephesus was a city of power, a city of power in the ancient world, power in religion, power politically, power in civic structures. Therefore, it was a place in which it knew all about winners and losers, about those who were on top and those who were not those who were able to climb over, and those who got pushed aside. And in such a place, Paul says, may we see that our hope is not in our economic or our social power, but in the call of our God. And this call is known primarily, it's centered in Jesus. Think of this, the one who is rejected by the powers of the world, the loser, is the preeminently called or chosen one of God. Jesus, cast aside by the world, is now called by God. And now, and here is the wonder that Paul wants us to see through Christ. Now in Christ, through faith, we too are God's chosen ones. Even when the world does not choose us, even when the world pushes us aside or overlooks us, we are called in Christ. This is a supernatural call fully rooted in God's initiative. And it's one that we need to hold on to. For the hope tells us that we, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While others overlooked us, God saw us and called us. And he is faithful who calls you, and he will finish the work that he started. And here's part of the hope of that call that nothing, no one, no power can separate you from the loving call of your God. So first thing to see is that we may know the hope of our calling. And the second thing Paul says is he prays that we may have spiritual eyesight to see 
and to know the rich glory we possess in our status as God's inheritance. The rich glory we possess in our status as God's inheritance. Now you might recall or remember reading that the gospel describes our hope as a glorious inheritance, that in Christ we are God's adopted children, and as his children we are heirs of God's promise. And the Holy Spirit is like a down payment of this promise that one day we will be made fully new, that we will dwell with God, and that we'll know God as our God face to face. That's our inheritance. It might not be clear, but this phrase that Paul wants us to see is that, is that God also has an inheritance. An interesting thought, right? That, that God of all creation also has an inheritance. After Israel was brought forth out of bondage and they came through the Red Sea, God said that Israel, that you are my portion. You are my inheritance. And Paul prays that we may know the wonder that in Christ, now in Christ, God claims us too as his portion, as his own, his special possession, his treasured ones. Jews and Gentiles, near and far, all who are in Christ are the inheritance of God that he may display the wonder of his rich, rich mercy to all the world. And it will come to fullness on the day of resurrection when Jesus makes all things new. By having these eyes, this new sight, in a world that often makes our value just about what we can contribute, what we can earn or produce, we hear that we have great value in God. Even as we are a community of sinners, rescued by grace, still bearing much of the wounds and the marks of sin, either ours or others, God lovingly calls us his own, his special possession. The third and final thing that Paul wants the church to see, these new eyes, is may you have new vision to see or to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. I recently read a book by an author named Paul Kahn. It's a memoir of his. It's called Testimony. And in this book, he writes mostly about the, the trauma or the challenge of growing up in his family, and in particular, in the, his parents' marriage a marriage in which he knew of his mother committing infidelity, but also a father who, quote, believed in justice, but who did not believe in forgiveness. A father who believed in justice, but did not believe in forgiveness. And one of the themes of this memoir is this spiritual seeking of the author in which he describes it as this longing Longing for power, longing for something beyond his own resources, beyond judgment or justice, beyond unfaithfulness, beyond hurt. And he wonders, is there such a power that exists, something that can make things different? Maybe you can relate to such questions or longings. And Paul is inviting us in this third part to imagine and to see and to believe that such a power is at work, displayed in the person of Christ and his resurrection and a power that is at present in our life. In this third part, he piles up word after word. Do you see this? The complexity of the, the phrases to say that the greatest display of power that the world has ever seen took place when God raised Jesus from the dead. That God's resurrection power at once set itself apart and superior to all other powers that we might come across. And therefore, this is the final 
and the kind of the foundational lens, the lens that locks things into place, if you will, that truly makes things different about how we see ourselves in this world, the possibility of forgiveness and new life, that the God who called you, the God who claims you as a special possession, is also the one who has displayed power above all things. And here is the story of that power. Jesus, born in poverty and helplessness, born in Nazareth, a town that was dismissed as backwater and not worth anything. Jesus, who identifies with us in baptism, the baptism of repentance, who ate with the rejected ones. Jesus, who confronted the powers on behalf of the poor and the crippled and the unclean. Jesus, who was betrayed and rejected, abandoned and humiliated and crushed. This Jesus has left the tomb. And this Jesus has risen to new life. And this Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God, far above all other rules and authority and dominion, and given the name above all names, not only now, but for all ages to come. And the power that did this work, that raised and vindicated Jesus as the one who is above, is the power now at work on our behalf and God's grace. In Christ. If you are in Christ at present, we who were dead in our sins have been made alive. We who knew exile and isolation have been forgiven and restored. See, at present, our new status is that of a child of God, accepted and united to Christ, and the future promise is linked to it. The assurance by the power of God, we will know the resurrection and renewal of our bodies from perishable to imperishable. We will know the casting away of all evil, the healing of all wounds, and we'll know the full and glorious vindication of Jesus. This is the promise and the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus. The one who bore our sin, the one who came to forgive sinners, is the one lifted above all things. Therefore, let us have hope in his name. And let us pray that we may see ourselves and our neighbors in this world through the lenses of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that by your spirit you'd use it to change us, encourage us, to help us to walk in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us, please, and we'll sing together.
faithfulness to us knows no boundaries. Grant us eyes to see your patience and your love for us as we join you through people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of the to the table that God sets for his people. As I mentioned in the beginning during this time, we're going to participate in communion through these prepackaged elements. Um, if you are planning on taking communion, does anyone need one to be passed out to them? Okay. Well, if you're planning on taking communion this morning, participating, I invite you to go ahead and open those elements. If, if you're not participating, we're thankful that you're here. I invite you to see this table as a, a sign of who God is and his work in Christ. Before we participate together, let us remember that this table is a gift. And through it, it is a picture, something that helps us imagine the work of God. What, what Paul's passage, what that passage in Ephesians was inviting us to, to see. Sinners who know isolation, who know what it is to be hurt or to hurt others welcomed home as God's sons and daughters. Not because of the things they've done or the promises that they've made, but because of the work of Christ for them. Welcomed at God's table, renewed, loved, that we may be a community that goes forth in loving our neighbors as ourselves. A community of the kingdom of Christ that lives differently than the kingdom of this world. A kingdom with hope, of grace, and of love. So let us come and let us be nourished that we would know again God's grace and let us be nourished that we may walk in his love. Jesus, thank you for this table. We pray, Lord, that you set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one and that your spirit would be here to strengthen us and to nourish us as we come in faith. Let all of us, those who are participating and those who are just watching, let us all be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and that your spirit meet us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let's eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand with me that we can respond to this table with prayer and with song. I invite you to stand with me. To say, <laughs> come, we can pray and then we can sing together. Teach us to know the surpassing love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
sharing in his suffering and rejoicing in the power of the resurrection, pressing on toward the goal to which you have called us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. I'm going to invite uh, Rob Golovke to come forward. He's a missionary that we support. He's going to share about his work and also a way that we can partner with him. Thanks. Hi. Um, just before I get started, I have to, well, first of all, Chad said that there was no time restriction. He said, don't worry about the time uh, before church started. So I, I told him that was dangerous. Um, but before anything, before I get started in the update, I just find it funny that in the order of worship, Chad put at the end there in the little box that he is thankful to support uh, us. The church is thankful to support us, my wife and our, and our kids in the ministry work we do. And I just found that funny a little bit because I'm the one that is, is thankful for you, uh, for the church, and by extension, you for supporting us and in, in the work that we do. And um, many of you in here know what I do. I work for an organization called Hockey Ministries International. And our aim, our purpose, our intention, our vision is to reach everyone in the hockey world uh, with the hope found in Jesus Christ. And we do that mainly through uh, two main avenues. We do that in a lot of ways, but two main things we do is we host uh, chapels during the hockey season, which are basically Bible studies from uh, Bible studies that we do with teams from the NHL all the way down to kids my daughter's age, seven, eight-year-olds um, during the hockey season. And the other way we do this is uh, through our hockey camps. We host over uh, close to 40 camps in the summer. And these are outreach camps where we use the game of hockey to tell kids about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Um, and I could use the rest of my few minutes here to tell you about the numbers and, uh, you know, the many chapels that we do and all the camps and the many kids that we serve, the thousands of kids that come to our camp each summer. But I thought it would be better to use the few minutes to tell uh, two stories about uh, individuals as opposed to the, the greater numbers. And uh, I think that'll maybe paint a better picture of the impact that you help fund uh, through my work with Hockey Ministries. And um, ultimately, really, if you think about it, that's in order to reach the masses, it starts with one individual at a time, and that's the heart and soul of our ministry. So the first story comes from our summer camp. Just this past summer, I was at a camp, one of many camps, and um, I'm in the locker room late in the week. It's a Thursday, and I'm tying the skates of a, of a young hockey player, and he's, I, he's a little too old to be having his skates tied, but I was feeling generous that day, so I was tying his skates, and it was kind of nice because it gives you a chance to have a nice little one-on-one -on -one conversation as I'm, I'm tying this player's skates. And so I ask him, well, how's, how's camp been going? How do you like it? And he's like, oh, it's been great. It's been really good. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's good. That's kind of like a, a textbook answer. But it's like, and I ask, well, what do you like about camp? Like, what was your favorite part? And he's like, oh, uh, everything. I'm like, oh, that doesn't give me much. And so I'm like, well, everything. What do you mean? There's got to be something. There's got to be one thing that you like more than anything else at camp. And he's like, well, the ice time has been really fun. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And he pauses for a second and then kind of tilts his head and he's like, and uh, you know, the God stuff that we talk about has been better than I expected it to be. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, and just talking with him while I was tying his skates, his friend uh, from his hockey team had invited him to camp. He didn't really go to church. He didn't really talk about this God stuff, as he called it, in his own home. And uh, he just said that he was surprised by how much he actually enjoyed talking about uh, the things that we talked about at camp outside of hockey and all the other things we do. And uh, before I finished tying his skates and moved on to somebody else, I, I reminded him, you know, that God's stuff that we talk about is way more important than any of the hockey stuff or any other stuff that we talk about. So I hope that's what you remember from camp. So it was a fun little story. And it's just a very short little conversation that reminded me of how cool it is that at our camps, a kid can be invited to camp by a teammate who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know anything about God necessarily, 
but he comes to camp and he experiences the fun stuff of like playing hockey and all the games that we do and the crazy things we do at camp, but then he also experiences something more than just fun, something real and eternal. And he's, he's encounters uh, a faith in Jesus Christ. And so the story didn't end there. Actually, later that night, after our evening chapel, we, um, uh, we invite kids to stay after if they want to talk about what putting your faith in Christ looks like. And he was one of four that night to stay after, which was really cool. And one of his comments, I asked the kids, do you guys have any questions after I'm done kind of talking about stuff? And his question was like, he's like, yeah, I, I kind of, you know, understand that Jesus came to die for me, and I understand that I do bad things, and I'm a sinner. He didn't say sinner, but he said, I understand I do bad things, but I, I don't understand what it means to accept him in my heart. Like, what does that mean? And it was just awesome to be able to talk to, a, you know, an 11-year-old kid about what that actually means. So that's pretty cool. That's a little picture of what our camp ministry is like. The second story uh, that I have is from our chapel ministry. And I, I work predominantly with uh, college and then pro players. And uh, this story comes from a pro player that I've been working with for quite some time. And it was a conversation we actually had on the phone a few weeks ago. Um, but before we get to that conversation, uh, flashback, he's going to be a senior this year on his team. He's going to be captain of this team, which is really cool. But as a freshman, he comes in and I do chapels. And these are like weekly or biweekly Bible studies with these teams, that whoever wants to come. And so he comes in as a freshman, and right away he takes part in the, in the Bible studies that we do with the chapels. And he comes every week, week on week, and I'm always challenging the guys to, to find a church, get to a local church. Like I'm constantly, the guys probably get sick of me hearing, hearing that from me, but I'm constantly telling guys, you need to find a local church. You know, what we do here is good, but you need to find a local church. And after challenging the guys uh, a couple of times, um, he stayed after, and he's having a conversation with me. He's like, isn't what we do here good enough? Like, we read the Bible, and we talk about it, and all this stuff. And he's like, isn't this kind of like church? And I'm like, no, this guy just does not get it. He, no, he doesn't get it. He, this is not church. And I was pretty honest with him that what I do is actually like a bridge to church. I go out from a church to try to get you guys to get connected to church, to get, to get you to be followers of Jesus Christ, but this is not the church, and so I challenged him again individually, like, you got to get to church, and so we agreed that I would send him uh, a list of churches from just contacts that I had and people that I knew in the area of, of good local churches, so I did, and later that year, as freshman year, he, you know, I touched base with him, you know, how's it going, are you going to church, and he's like, yeah, I've, I've been going sporadically, and I, I know the pastor, he was a high school friend, so I checked with him, like, is Nick coming to church? And, and he's like, yeah, Nick, he's been coming every now and then. You'll see him wearing his hockey, you know, gear and stuff. Like, not his hockey gear, but his apparel that he wears. Anyway, so he's been going to church. Come sophomore year, I check with him again, like, how's it going? And he's saying, yeah, he's going a little bit more, he's telling me. Uh, but then he's t later in the sophomore year, he's, he's starting to tell me, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel guilty on Sunday mornings because... In college, guys play Friday and Saturday night, and after Saturday night, um, Sunday's usually off from practice and stuff, and so as most hockey players do, they, they go out and party and do these kinds of things, and he's like, yeah, I'm starting to feel guilty that I'm going out with the, the teammates, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm not going to church on Sunday mornings as much as I want, and I find myself feeling guilty that I'm not going to church, and so it was a good conversation of guilt and all that kind of stuff, but I was, in the back of my head, I'm like, in the book of John, there's something about conviction of, of sin, too, so that's good, so like he's a little bit growing, and then his junior year, which was this past year, he's gotten even more involved, and he's, I check in with him all the time, and whenever I go and do the Bible studies, we have good conversations, and he's going to church even regularly, and he's starting to bring teammates, and this is like, oh, this is really good, he's actually inviting his teammates to come with him to church. And so fast forward now, we're back to the conversation I had with them this, um, this couple weeks ago. Uh, since I don't see the guys in the summer that much, I call them on the phone, and we're having this really long conversation on the phone, and he tells me, yeah, you know, I've been greeting at church. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, he's not just going to church now, he's actually serving at church as a greeter, and he's putting himself out there. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to see his growth and, and progression through that time. So um, 
that just two quick little snapshots of kind of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, I'll close with this. Chad mentioned uh, I like to tell stories. And so I host a breakfast. There's flyers on the table. I think Chad said he put some information in the weekly email as well. Uh, where I invite people that have been impacted by our ministry to come and share stories of how they've been impacted by Christ uh, through our ministry. So that happens on September 25th at 8 in the morning. If you want information, like I said, there's flyers on the table uh, as you walk out. There's information in the weekly email, and you can come and hear stories about what God has done through our uh, ministry. So uh, I thank you for your time. Eric's going to do something for me here. Which side do you want? Uh, why don't you stand there? Rob, we're so thankful for you, like Chad said. Um, thankful for your work, but just also thankful for your presence with you and your family here in our church. Um, so let us pray for Rob. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we thank you that in Christ that you have built a bridge to us. And Lord, we thank you for the call that you placed upon Rob to follow you. Thank you for using his story, his past, his skills to send him to the hockey community, a community that he loves, a community of, of players, of coaches, of families that he desires to see know Christ. Lord, we thank you for this, these snapshots. These are just a handful of stories. And Lord, we thank you for the joy that it brings. We can even see it on Rob's face as he communicates these stories and, and the joy that it brings to us as, as a church body here. Lord, we do pray for the players that he's currently working with in the chapels. We pray for, pray for the chaplains that he's supporting. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that these camps were able to take place this summer. Lord, we, uh, we give you thanks for Elizabeth and for their children, Mabel, George, and Otto. Lord, we pray that you would put your hand of protection over them as Rob goes about his work. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. reminder hope you can stay after there's a special fellowship time outside cookies and lemonade and some and cold water that'll be nice receive now god's blessing may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever amen you may go in peace mm -hmm.